It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And, uh, well, what a day. Well, we have a deal. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Yes, a deal, but there's a lot of caveats along the way. But let's bring you all to, up to speed as fast as we can. UK is, has said, and the EU has said, a deal is in place. The deal now has to be signed off by the European leaders in Brussels. But, and rather significantly, at the moment, the DUP is not on board with this as far as we know. Discussions over the past days have at times been difficult. But we have delivered. And we have delivered together. I should say that's uh, Michel Barnier, who is the EU chief Brexit negotiator, of course, uh, striking something of an upbeat tone there. But the DUP, of course, still looming over this, saying the position on Brexit hasn't changed since this morning, when, of course, they are the one pouring cold water over the discussions. Indeed. And let's just take you through the choreography of this, because the prime minister's spokeswoman has now said that Boris Johnson plans to put the new agreement, assuming it's OK, of course, by the leaders in Brussels, to a vote in Parliament on Saturday. Parliament, of course, sitting uh, on a Saturday for the first time since the Falklands War in 1982. And equally interestingly, speaking in Brussels, the Labour leader who's arrived there, Jeremy Corbyn, has said he won't support the Brexit agreement as it stands. And as we said, the DUP definitely isn't behind it. We're going to be hearing from Lib Dem MP Tom Brake a little bit later in the programme. Perhaps we'll get a sense of their position. Uh, but with the moment, it's by far, uh, it's very far from saying this is, I suppose, a done deal, perhaps we should say. It really is. There's so much to consider as you've laid out. Let's get over to Brussels, where the editor of the Bloomberg Brexit Bulletin newsletter, Adam Blenford, is standing by. Great to have you, Adam, in the heart of the action. I was taken by this line from Emmanuel Macron, who says that the EU has stuck to its red lines on a Brexit deal. Does that then mean that the UK is likely to have shifted significantly? Uh, good morning, Seb. The, the UK has uh, changed its position. Um, you know, we're still combing through the documents, but obviously the, the, the really interesting thing, as Roger said, is that the, the, the details of the changes to customs regulations for around the, uh, the Northern Irish island border and issues of consent around um, what, uh, how 
these uh, these issues will be um, uh, allowed to proceed in future if if and when the Northern Ireland Assembly uh, does or doesn't like them. These have dogged the negotiations for a while, and uh, yeah, the EU says that they have they have maintained a, a line on respecting the integrity of the single market and protect, protecting the uh, the the all Ireland economy, free movement of trade and goods across the border without checks. Those are the things which um, the the EU has held dear. The Democratic Unionist Party in Northern Ireland has held dear the idea that it uh, mustn't be separated in any way from uh, Great Britain, from England, Wales and Scotland. And, uh, you know, we're still waiting to see how that will play out um, when uh, we, we eventually get some sort of reaction and votes perhaps in Parliament from the Democratic Unionists. Well, Adam, yeah, I mean, let's let's walk that one through a bit, because it, first of all, the deal, as I understand it, goes to the leaders uh, assembling in Brussels, reasonably uh, confident that they will say yes. Then it comes back to Parliament on Saturday for this highly unusual Saturday sitting. Now, as far as we know at the moment, the DUP is not on board. Do we have any sense whether the ERG, the, the Tory uh, Brexiteers, uh, will go with the DUP or will they be loyal to Boris Johnson? Um, that's, I mean, that's all in flux. We think uh, that the ERG are currently on board. The, the deal as it was taking shape last night was described as tolerable by Steve Baker, who uh, didn't vote for any of um, Theresa May's deals, uh, votes for Theresa May's deal. And um, we, uh, you know, there have been some uh, headlines. We're watching individual reactions from those. Um, they sometimes call themselves the Spartans, you know, the, the hard Brexit uh, uh, contingent in the Conservative Party. We're watching for those reactions. But at the moment, it doesn't appear to be um, a significant dis- disagreement with the deal. And there is, uh, you know, a report uh, out at the moment that Jacob Rees-Mogg, who has, he's obviously in the cabinet these days, leader of the House of Commons, but a very firm Eurosceptic, said, that Eurosceptics can rally around a Brexit deal. That's uh, been reported by the Financial Times. So another twist in the tale we've had today is uh, Labour potentially supporting a confirmatory vote here and potentially whipping on that. Uh, could that be the thing that helps this deal to pass? Again, um, in previous votes in Parliament, a, a referendum or a confirmatory vote of any point didn't garner a majority. We had indicative votes on that. But it came close. Earlier in the year. But it came close. Now, the really fascinating thing will be to see if we get down to the wire in a sort of live, this is not a test situation, um, which way do people vote? Um, you know, our, our, uh, our, uh, our, our correspondent, Rob Hutton, uh, did a really fascinating piece running the numbers just yesterday. Um, it's available on Bloomberg Terminal and on .com um, to, that, that sort of goes through all the, the individual the individual groups in Parliament. There are 19 members, former members of the Conservative Party who lost the whip um, for um, rebelling a few months ago, but had never really rebelled uh, against uh, the Conservative Party before. And many of them are instinctively in favour of getting an orderly exit from the EU. So the real, the real question will be, can some of them come back on board? Will there be members of the Labour Party who represent leave voting constituencies who want to get this done? Um, and what will be the impact of, um, of, of people from other parties, members of parliament from other parties voting perhaps for a Conservative Brexit plan? You know, this is a long way from being finished. There's a lot of drama still to come. Indeed. Adam, thanks very much indeed. Adam Blenford there live on the line from Brussels. Let's go over to our guest, uh, the Liberal Democrat MP Tom Brake, who's joining us, I believe, from the House of Commons, where there might even be a vote uh, while you're speaking to us, Tom Brake. But I'll say uh, welcome. Thank you very much for being with us. Um, let me first say, what is your view about what your party is likely to do if a vote is taken on Saturday? 
Well, uh, our position is uh, quite clear uh, in that uh, if uh, Boris Johnson is willing to link his deal, which incidentally I think is a very bad one for the United Kingdom, as do most British business sectors, but if he's willing to link that deal to a people's vote, uh, then we will not seek to block his deal. And that, we believe, is the best chance he's got of actually getting this deal in front of, well, first of all, getting it through Parliament, but secondly, getting it in front of the people so that they can choose whether a deal which, for all intents and purposes, sets Northern Ireland adrift and hammers a British uh, major sectors of the British economy, whether that's something they want or whether they prefer, as we do, to stay in the European Union. Is that not quite a risky prospect there if you're a party that is opposed to Brexit? Are you not better off, for example, forcing a delay, going to an election and, and then hoping to do well there? Well, I think we accept that, you know, there, there was this vote that took place three and a half years ago, and, and a referendum is one of the ways of resolving this. And a referendum in which, for instance, people voted to remain uh, could bring closure to an issue which, frankly, has paralyzed the UK government for the last three and a half years. If uh, the UK proceeds with this deal, then all of the discussions that have been taking place in Brussels will continue for probably five or ten years whilst the UK tries to resolve what its future relationship with the EU is going to be because, of course, if Boris Johnson has any deal, it is only a deal on what is going to happen in terms of our departure from the EU, not what it means for our future relationship. So can we be absolutely clear? that If, if it goes to a vote, Tom, on Saturday, first of all, you, the Lib Dems, would not vote in favour of this deal. Would you perhaps... Uh, put down an amendment for a confirmatory vote, uh, which would overturn well, that? I, I think there's a, probably some competition about who, who, how many parties are going to put down the idea of a confirmatory vote. Certainly that is our position. We'd be happy to support that. Uh, and uh, we have, in fact, already uh, tabled f- to the Queen's speech uh, an amendment which uh, could be voted on on Tuesday, which does exactly that in terms of a confirmatory vote. So I hope there will be the, the numbers for that on Saturday as well. And as I said, I think that is the best chance the Prime Minister has got of getting this through. We made the same offer to Theresa May. Uh, we said, look, we, will, we won't block your deal if you're willing to put it to a people's vote. She rejected our offer. And of course, her, her deal was shot down in flames. So to be, to be absolutely clear on this, Tom, if there is no confirmatory uh, vote, then you would oppose the deal? Absolutely. And, and we would oppose it for the simple reason, as I said a few moments ago, that this deal, when, when we have the pharmaceutical, aerospace, automotive, food and drink industry all writing to our prime minister saying the deal that you are proposing agreeing is very damaging for the sectors, these sectors of the UK economy, why on earth would we want to vote for that deal? So what sort of conversations are you then having with opposition parties, those who you've bandied together with successfully in the past to tie Johnson's hands? Well, we are very actively involved in those discussions and uh, we'll be, I look at the time in about an hour and 20 minutes time, we'll be back together uh, working out what's going to happen on on Saturday. Uh, Of course, one thing that is certain to happen on Saturday is that at least, uh, I hope, a million people will be in London shouting loudly in favour of a people's vote in Parliament Square and I'm hoping Members of Parliament will actually be able to hear them. 
uh, literally shouting their support for a people's vote, something that's been Lib Dem policy for, for at least the last couple of years. But isn't there a risk now, Tom, that the Rebel Alliance, as it's sometimes called, will split apart on this? Because there will be people, certainly inside the Labour group, who will want a deal of some kind, perhaps a feeling that the British people have waited long enough for this, surely we can bury this at this stage, uh, and just find a way forward based on that. It's a matter of impatience almost rather than anything else. Well, I would urge those Labour MPs to, 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 to not help Boris Johnson deliver a Brexit deal which is highly damaging for the UK economy and be highly damaging for businesses in their own constituencies. Uh, what we haven't yet seen, and uh, I mean, literally things are emerging uh, on, on a minute-by-minute basis, is what, for instance, the deal says around workers' rights, because that was an issue that... Okay. Uh, uh, Labour MPs feel strongly about, and they may be sacrificed as part of this. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Deal. And welcome back to Bloomberg Westminster. I'm Roger Hearing. And I'm Sebastian Salik. In just a minute, we're going to get back to Tom Brake, the Liberal Democrat MP and the party's Brexit spokesperson to talk about what happens next as this deal goes to a vote on Saturday. But first, let's have a look at the papers. And it's a funny day, isn't it? Because so much happened after these were printed. So much of them are fish and chip paper now, essentially. Well, yes, indeed. Now, Private Eye, which... Uh, well, Heaven knows they have a much longer publishing time than anyone else, I suppose. But uh, this headline is Brexit. Yes, it's make or break crunch time. Endgame, cliff edge, high stakes drama, judgment, day, end of the road, last chance saloon, super Saturday meltdown week. Or possibly not. And I think that's probably the way we're feeling even now. Very much sums up the week I've had. You just can't get away from your desk without everything changing. I'm also looking at the New Statesman, uh, which focuses on the story within Labour, Louise Ellman leaving the party. Um, The headline is, many Labour MPs agree with Louise Ellman, so why are they staying? And it plays at these divides between those who disagree with uh, Corbyn's policy on anti-Semitism and on Brexit and on other things, but are still sticking within the party. And essentially some of the issues brought up are about how Corbyn is now managing the shortlist, so MPC leaving the party as handing over power to the leadership uh, and how Elmer was an exception to that because of her individual circumstances Um, and how also she thinks that uh, Labour might win the next election and there are many who are naysayers privately within the party so lots of internal machinations there that we should be aware of as well. Okay well let's bring our guest back in Tom Brake Liberal Democrat MP and the party's Brexit spokesperson who joins us live on the line from Westminster. Uh, Tom welcome back now let's uh, just consider one or two things before we move swiftly on now the uh, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn is in Brussels now and has condemned uh, the Brexit deal Uh, he said it's even worse than the settlement reached by uh, Theresa May and uh, obviously he is firmly against that. Uh, Have you yourself had a chance to to find out any of the details of what's in it? Well, I think we got a a reasonably clear steer over the last uh, sort of week or so in terms of what the government were trying to negotiate. I think what what has changed in the last uh, last four, six hours is, I think, some specifics around this issue of Northern Ireland, issues to do with who's going to consent to the agreement carrying on, for instance, uh, with a review every four years. 
and possibly some issues around VAT in, in Northern Ireland and, and customs issues. But I think the broad brush of what is being proposed is known, and that has already been analysed by a number of reputable organisations, including the government, whose own assessment of this is that the impact on our GDP in terms of shrinking or, or reducing our growth in GDP is comparable to the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, and therefore, Boris Johnson may want to wave around a deal, but this is a deal that is going to be highly damaging to UK uh, PLC uh, and people's livelihoods and jobs in the United Kingdom. And I think that is what one needs to focus on rather than perhaps a rather short-lived, short-lived euphoria associated with a deal that he might or might not secured, which the DUP might or might not agree to, and which Parliament might or might not vote for on Saturday. You speak of highly damaging. Another thing that many say will be highly damaging is a no-deal Brexit. And there's been some uh, murmurations that the EU might, may say, take this or we won't give you an extension, what would your position then be? Well, I don't think the the EU would do that. I think the EU have all along known that, I mean, there, and I spoke to Mr Barnier last week, it's very clear that his role is to secure a deal. The EU have given the UK one deal, the Theresa May deal, but Parliament rejected it. Uh, apparently, they've given uh, Boris Johnson a deal. Uh, their role is very much not to uh, crash us out without no deal. So, frankly, I don't think it would be the EU uh, that stopped uh, giving the U- United Kingdom uh, uh, an extension to avoid a no-deal scenario. But, but Boris Johnson's deal, if you look at those independent analyses and the government's own analysis, Boris Johnson's deal is not that much better in terms of its impact on the UK economy than a no-deal scenario. Are you saying then that if it's not much better, would you actually prefer a no-deal scenario? Oh, no, I don't want either. I don't, I don't want no you, deal. You don't want, don't want that may be the deal. choice. The, the, the best deal, well, no, and we, we have argued consistently that the best choice is between Boris Johnson's deal uh, if indeed he has one and manages to get it through Parliament and staying in the European Union. That's why I've been pressing for people's votes for the last couple of years. And that people's position, people's views on that has shifted quite dramatically in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, only the Liberal Democrats uh, and the Greens were advocating this. Nowadays, virtually everyone, including uh, a number of the Conservatives who've been kicked out of the Conservative Party, are ad- advocating a people's vote as the only way out of this quagmire a paralysis that we've been in for the last three and a half years. Well, let's look ahead slightly and assume that a deal does pass. Um, would you still be keen for an election then? Well, if, if the deal passes, then that would also require an implementation bill to pass. And there's a little bit of concern that the government might be trying to, on the one hand, pass a deal because they have to comply with the Ben Act, but then not actually implement it and crash us out without a deal. But assuming that the implementation bill uh, happens, then I think at that point an election becomes uh, inevitable because um, you know Brexit is done. The Prime Minister will seek a general election and uh, the Labour Party there's, uh, at that point and the other opposition parties, frankly, there's no point in in not allowing that to go ahead because at that point the issue of Brexit will have been resolved. So if you're concerned about uh, the Ben Act not being legally watertight, are you having conversations around that? Well, we are confident that it is, but of course what the government, uh, where the argument now lies is the extent to which what the government produce 
and Jacob Rees-Mogg, I've been watching him on television, has been waving around the document that they have, uh, although that's not available to members of parliament generally, uh, whether that constitutes a, a legal agreement that complies with the requirements of the EU Withdrawal Act uh, and, and the Ben Act or not. And, and the government's position may be that it does, and they might want to fight that in the courts. And our position may be, well, actually, it's full of holes. It doesn't set out uh, what is contained in the, the, the political declaration, so uh, you know our future relationship with the EU. And we may then end up in court battling over whether uh, the government have or have not complied with the Ben Act. Tom, let me move you on to that point we were considering just now about beyond a vote. Let's let's make the working assumption that the vote by some means does go through and the deal is implemented. What does that do, do you think, to people like Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party? Let me just read out a tweet that he's put. He said, the commitment to regulatory alignment in this agreement means the New Deal is not Brexit, despite improvements on the customs union. So it's not impossible that he and his party might be campaigning against the Conservatives in a future election. Well, uh, that would not be surprising because uh, he, Nigel Farage, and indeed, if they were truthful, so would Jacob Rees-Mogg and, and Boris Johnson, they would recognize that actually there are large chunks of this proposed deal that are very similar, if not identical, to Theresa May's deal, which they had opposed. Uh, so in those circumstances, it would not be strange if the Brexit party felt that this wasn't this was Brino, uh, Brexit in name only, and therefore they felt obliged to continue campaigning on the issue because obviously they want what they call a clean break, which we would call crashing out of the European Union, uh, damaging most of the UK economy in the process. That is what they think uh, is right for the United Kingdom, uh, not an arrangement which, for instance, in Northern Ireland uh, does keep a closer relationship with the EU, uh, than they, they than than that which they would like. And how does the Lib Dems position themselves? Because you've garnered so much support from being a strongly pro-Remain party, presumably that option sort of disappears once the deal is passed. Well, clearly, if a deal was passed and uh, we we have left the European Union, I mean, the first thing to say, of course, is, is that. Uh, we won't have left the European Union entirely, and in, in at least we will be in a transition phase where probably nothing very much is going to change, because that is the phase where uh, the UK will have to negotiate uh, or seek to negotiate a new uh, trading arrangement with the, uh, the EU, something which I suspect will have to go way beyond any uh, current uh, proposed transition phase, which will be until December 2020, because those sorts of negotiations are going to carry on for four or five years. So uh, we haven't entirely left the European Union. We would be in a transition phase where uh, we would not have uh, diverged that much from the European Union. So I think the discussions about uh, membership and so on are things that would continue in earnest. Um, as I said, I think a few moments ago, whether uh, we end up with no deal uh, or whether we end up with the Prime Minister's deal, there's only one thing that is certain, and that is the arguments about our membership of the EU and what our future relationship will be like will continue probably for at least the next five years. But, Tom, would you would the Lib Dems campaign to rejoin? 
Well, clearly that is something that we would, uh, I suspect all parties would want to look at uh, as in the circumstances that prevailed in the, uh, at the time. If in five years' time, for instance, the threats that uh, come to us from uh, Russia, for instance, have intensified, if we're finding that uh, China, for instance, is becoming much more aggressive uh, in use of its military power, uh, then who who can say what the UK may feel uh, and you can But you wouldn't campaign straight away in their interest. You wouldn't campaign no, straight I away. It wouldn't become automatically your policy. No, no, no. I mean, what what I would want us to do is to to, to review that, and and obviously, if we do leave the European Union, then uh, to we would be having to seek to to join the European Union as if we were a new country entering the European Union, and therefore I and I'm sure uh, our members would want to see, and and the voters more generally would want to see what conditions might be attached to that before making any decision at all about whether it was a sensible or not idea to seek to uh, rejoin. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.